1: Every month of the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Wednesday, October 10th, 2012. Okay, this is going to sound weird. I'm really excited about tomorrow's <laughs> episode. I, today's my light edition, but I have been hard at work on tomorrow's episode. We're going to go back in time tomorrow. But I'm not going to lay the cards down yet. So it may, I think I may have committed a radio faux pas. <laughs> Got to go back to school here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, in order to do that, you need to be familiar with the real thing. Uh, Back in the day, when I was a young lad, and I was skinny, and... Good-looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I worked at a bank up in uh, C- in Seattle. In fact, I, I talk about it from time to time. I worked at 1111 3rd Avenue at Pacific Northwest Bank in Seattle, Washington. The bank is no longer there. It was bought out by another bank, and then another bank bought that one out. But uh, it's still a bank there. In fact, if you were to go to 1111 3rd Avenue, on the side that is closest to the old Washington Mutual building, 1201 3rd Avenue, you'll see that there is a bank branch there. I used to work right there. And uh, when I worked there for Pacific Northwest Bank, we we were a bank with only two branches. We had a one, uh, one branch right there in downtown Seattle and the other one across, uh, you know, Uh, Lake Washington, you know, over in, uh, what is it, I want to say, uh, Bellevue, Uh, no, not Bothell, but anyway, I forget the name of the other town across the lake. Somebody's going to send me an email, I I just know it, but anyway, uh, so because we only had two branches, as a teller, I got to learn how to detect counterfeits. Uh, counterfeit money uh, by by being trained by you know fbi counterfeit experts themselves I mean they would t- 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 train people on the bank level whose then their job was to train the other people within their organization so I got to be the trainer of the uh, they trained the trainer that would be me and I trained other people how to detect anyway, so I got to work with uh, with them in learning how to detect counterfeits. And what I was taught is that you have to become really, 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 enough really familiar with the original. And by becoming so familiar with the original, that that is a surefire way of learning how to detect counterfeits because – There's not one way to counterfeit money. There are many different ways to counterfeit money, and counterfeiters are always coming up with new and unique innovations when it comes to uh, applying their, their illegal trade. And so the best defense is for you to be so familiar with the original thing, the real thing that it would be impossible for somebody to palm off or pass off to you something that wasn't legit. Now, funny enough, the same principle applies with the Bible. There's a thousand and one, maybe two different ways, a thousand and two different ways for the devil to deceive you regarding God. And so, uh, one of the ways in which you uh, then defend yourself, your family, your church, your friends, your family, things like that, is uh, by becoming so familiar with the original, the real Thing that you're not going to get schnookered by a cheap counterfeit. So, uh, what we're going to be doing here is uh, continuing through our study of the Book of Colossians uh, that was uh, delivered by Pastor Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. We are up to lecture number ten. And In fact, we're just going to dive right into it, and the idea here is that this is a good lecture on the real thing, and he discusses the uh, heresies that are being addressed by the Apostle Paul uh, you know, in the book of Colossians in doing this. So becoming familiar with the original, the original thing, the real thing, and going deep in your study and understanding of Scripture, it helps inoculate you to the bad teachers out there. That's the idea behind this. So without any further ado, here is Ron Hodel, lecture number 10. On the Book of Colossians.
2: Well, if you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to Colossians chapter two, uh, beginning at verse eighteen. Uh, last week we talked; uh, we finished our study uh, talking about being disqualified. Uh, Paul writes to the to the Colossians: um, Let no one disqualify you. Let no one cheat you out of the truth that you have been taught. Um, and the way the false teachers were trying to cheat the Corinthian or the Colossian Christians out of the truth was to get them to buy into the idea that they needed to do something to assist the work of Christ on his cross, in order to to uh, get saved, whether that's some sort of ascetic lifestyle, as if austerity plus the cross will save you, or um, or he mentions the worship of angels. Uh, so if you could, if you will, uh, cover your bases, you know, worship at all the side altars on the way to the main altar. You maybe you've been to Europe and seen these churches they have all these side altars on the way to the main altar, and you kind of pay homage to each of those altars as you. Have Head up to to uh, Christ just to cover your basis well Paul says here do not let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions going on in detail about visions now Paul's great concern here is that the false teachers were claiming some sort of a uh, special revelation that they received from God completely apart from Scripture. And these visions that they were propagating uh, were not simply a reiterating of what the words of Scripture said. They were adding to the words of Scripture. And Paul's point is, if it's not truly centered in Christ, then it's not of the Holy Spirit. It's simple as that. The work of Christ, or the work of the Holy Spirit, points us to Jesus. John is very, uh, Jesus is very clear about that in John chapter 15 and, and 16. And so the uh, Colossians are called by God to be faithful. Worship life is to be centered in the Word of Christ. Um, in the days of the Reformation, the church was up against the same challenge. Uh, some of the teachers of the church were uh, were cheating people out of the truth. Um, you had to add something to Christ's death on the cross in order to be saved, and so the, the Reformation came up with the with the phrase "sola scriptura," Scripture. Alone, not scripture plus, uh, believe what these visions of the false prophets are, are false teachers are are putting out. Um, but people are so enamored by visions. I remember reading um, in a, a magazine called Logia, um, uh, just a very short section, but but it had a little bit to do with with visions, and it was an article uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, what. Peter Kreeft, who is a Roman Catholic philosopher, and he's a professor at Boston College, had to say, um, you know, people have these visions of, of, you know, the near-death experiences. He was talking about those kinds of things, and um, and so Peter Kreeft was talking about that. And and uh, the picture is, of course, that somebody dies and and they go to heaven for a period of time, and then they come back and tell us all about heaven, and then they, of course, sell our uh, are, uh, are marketing a, a bestseller, right? So there's a few bucks involved in it as well. Well, Peter Kreeft makes the comment that uh, he said, reflect on this. He said, there are two twins in utero, okay? And uh, uh, one of the babies is born. It's born premature, but the baby is born But the doctor, this all happens in a very odd place where the doctor realizes the baby has come out and the baby's not cooked yet. And so the baby is pushed back in. And that baby goes to the other baby and says, I can tell you all about the other side. Okay, let me tell you what's on the other side. When we when we're given birth into the world, everything is like these lights shining down on top of you. I mean, there's lights all over the place. And the adults, they kind of look like us only they're bigger and they're dressed in gowns and and you wear masks when you become an adult. And uh everything is stainless steel and what's not stainless steel is white tile. And uh, the the room temperature is about 78 degrees. It's colder than in here, so you got to get ready for that. I know all about the world outside. Because I've been there for 15 seconds. Um, of course, that's not all about the world outside. It's about one place in this world that was outside. And so what, uh, what Peter Kreef does is he doesn't, he doesn't shut down or poo-poo the, the near-death experiences. What he says is, is uh, instead of taking the word of somebody who has been in heaven for 20 seconds... To tell you all about heaven, how about we listen to the one who is that eternity wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ? Um, And where does he speak to us? He speaks to us without mistake in his word, in the scripture. And let's listen to him because he's been there for eternity. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to deal with visions and visions of heaven and what that what that's all about. He doesn't poo-poo it, but it, but it becomes obvious, well, I'm going to listen to the one who's been there for all eternity. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Um... And the sensuous mind that Paul's talking about here is a mind that is controlled by man's fallen sinful nature. Um, I think he's kind of playing on that asceticism that the uh, false teachers were putting out, and he's calling that that asceticism, he's calling that sensuous. Your sensuous mind is coming up with this asceticism. It's kind of a play on, on words, if you will. Uh, he's not saying that the flesh is... Um, Inherently evil. I mean, God created us, and He created us good. Um, it's that mankind's rebellion against God has entirely corrupted His being. And along with that, Paul's point is this: fallen, sensuous mind—the the mind of sinful man—is where all these heretical thoughts are coming from. That these false teachers are telling you—they don't start with God; they start in the sensuous minds of these, these false teachers. So he says, Let no one disqualify you holding fast to the head, he says. Not holding fast to the head. Verse 19. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And of course the head is none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the head of the church and we his body. He's the Lord of all creation. Uh, he's the cause of our salvation. So Christ is the head, the church, his body, and the whole body is nourished and knit together in and through Christ. What we all have in common, and he's going he's to get to people that have nothing in common. He says, What we all do have in common is Christ's death for the forgiveness of our sins. That we have in common. And that's what nourishes us in word and of course in sacrament. And that's what knits us together and brings us in, in harmony with one another. And from that we grow. Uh, he talks about growth. Not because our well performed asceticism and our our self-imposed religious exercises or anything like that cause us to grow but because of the Word of God, because we're in the Word of Christ. Believers grow according to the growth that God gives. In the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, um, uh, let's see, it's uh, Article 28, 10th uh, uh, paragraph, says, Paul says that traditions do not help with regard to eternal righteousness and eternal life. Because food, drink, clothing, and the like are things that perish through use. Eternal life is worked in the heart by eternal things, that is, by God's word and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if If with Christ you died, and he has just explained how in Christ they had died in the waters of holy baptism, and so have you. If with Christ you died, and in Christ been set free from the imaginary authority that these elemental spirits uh, uh, wield, and us too, Set free from the slavery to all of the elemental spirits of the world, whatever those kinds of things are for us. I think they probably change over time. the te- The temptation is always the the temptation is is different for us, but it all leads to the same place: a lack of trust in Christ. Um, set free because Christ has. Triumph over them, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, there is no need to acknowledge them as if they have power and to pay them homage. And then Paul asks, why in the world, that's my paraphrase, why in the world do you act as if you haven't died in Christ and you're still alive in the clutches of this fallen world and thus submit to its empty regulations? Uh, why do you submit to regulations that have nothing to do with Christ and the forgiveness of sins? Regulations. Disciplines. There are a lot of disciplines, a lot of like spiritual disciplines out there that can be beneficial. Um, some people... Uh, the, the Catechism brings this up for us. Uh, we all memorize this uh, and, and reread it every once in a while. Uh, under the Lord's Supper, uh, Luther writes fasting and bodily preparation is indeed a fine outward training. He commends it. But he who is worthy and well prepared has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Some people make it their discipline, or they make it their regulation for themselves, if you will, not to eat food before uh, receiving the Lord's Supper on, on the Lord's Day. Some people do that. And it's a personal piety. And it's, uh, to them, it's a very beneficial thing. Um, we dare not make a regulation of that and make it a discipline for everybody. That was done during the days of the Reformation. But if that's helpful to you, great. Great. Go ahead and do it. I'd suggest not telling anybody about it. Um, Lent is is one of those other spiritual disciplines. Um, you know, they give up something for Lent. Just let it be beneficial to you and don't tell anybody about it. I remember at seminary, uh, we'd go to chapel and then go to the cafeteria and the profs would all be in the cafeteria, many of them, and you'd be talking back and forth. And there'd be coffee and there'd be donuts, all right? And, uh, During Lent, of course, uh, would you like, I'll buy you a donut. Oh, no, I've given up donuts for Lent. (laughs) Well, thank you for telling me. (laughs) Just just, just say, thank you. No, you know. There are disciplines, regulations that can be beneficial to us. Certain hours for prayer, um, denying yourself something for Lent. Um, But when those regulations are added to the gospel as a means of salvation, then Paul objects. And the false teachers in Colossae were adding these regulations to the gospel and then encouraging the congregation there to follow those regulations. And the regulations were, don't, Paul summarizes them, don't handle, do not taste, do not touch. You know, if your salvation is going to be something that you uh, work up by your own, by your own self, pull yourself up into salvation by your own bootstraps then you 've got to have a way inside of yourself to measure that right um, it 's just uh, the way it, the way it works, and so uh, you kind of end up being, "Are you better today than you were yesterday and and uh, it kind of gravitates toward uh, these these exercises to which you can point and say see i 'm doing all these things i 'm in." Um, and uh, it's, it's a way to, if you will, make yourself holy. Um, at least holy the way that particular God would define it. But truthfully, holiness is not something we can achieve. You cannot follow enough disciplines and regulations to get yourself into holiness. Uh, holiness, only God is holy. Only God is holy. And the Only holiness that we have comes through Him. He bestows it upon us. If you look at that entire book of Leviticus, that's one of the main points of Leviticus. God is holy and we are not. And how can unholy people come into the presence of the holy God and not be destroyed? The only way is for God to declare His unholy people holy, so that they can come into His presence and receive His gifts. It's the only way to holiness. It's gift. Well, all these false uh, religions were focusing on things, Paul calls them things that perish as they are being used. And that's just the nature of temporal things. They perish. And so a religion, based on decaying elements, is You know, an empty religion. It itself is perishing. And all these, Paul says, are being made up by human precepts. Teachings of man, as opposed to teachings of God. They have the appearance of wisdom. And they certainly do. The appearance of wisdom. It it makes sense. But the problem is, it makes sense to fallen humanity. Um... Before God, it has no value. The gospel, on the other hand, what does Paul say about the gospel? The gospel doesn't make sense. The gospel's appearance is that of foolishness. And yet the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul tells the, the Corinthian Christians, it's all self-made religion, Paul calls it, Um Along with all the self imposed efforts that you need to do to make yourself right with whatever God it is out there. And none of it is of any value, Paul says. In other words, the rules and regulations will not help you overcome the fallen flesh. You know, if you think about that, if, if, if rules and regulations would keep us from, from, you know, it would move us to more holiness. Then we ought to be the most holy nation in the world. You ever been in a lawyer's office? I mean, it's shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf of laws. You know, <laughs> just laws on the books. And and with all those laws, we should be a really moral, holy nation. Um, but the law has no value in making us making us holy. We can't be legislated into compliance. Um, ran across a quote by uh, Doctor Nestingan, and and he said. The law runs along behind on short legs, trying to keep up with all the permutations and variations. Because you know, we're always one step in front of the law. You know, We do something and then the law realizes that's bad, and so we need to make a law against it. But we've already moved to the next thing, and, and we're doing that before the law catches up and says, oh, we need to deal with that too. And we're always out in front of the law. The law has short legs. Okay, I thought that was kind of a neat way to put it. Um, Desires of the flesh can't be overcome by self-denial. Kind of like putting the fox in charge of the hen uh, hen house. Um, Fallen man telling itself, clean up your act. Um, Fallen man doesn't want to clean up his act. When he's sober, he'll say that, right? Right? You do something and say, okay, I've got to clean up my act. But get, that, get a temptation, comes along the way, and uh, you see what happens. Uh, your true colors come shining through. Uh, fallen man doesn't want to clean up fallen man. Um, the desires of the flesh can, over, can only be overcome by God's grace in Christ. Maybe another way of saying what Paul has to say here is they do not have any value, but are for the gratification of the flesh. Um, all these man-made rules, in one sense, uh, whether they're severe, you know, or whether they're heroic or whatever they are, they might seem to be of value, but they not only don't help—they not only don't help us in keeping the rules. Um, but the man-made practices might even be looking for attention for itself. Um, I've given up this for Lent. I want your attention. Um, I don't eat before the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. I want your attention. And so it becomes self, self-serving. self That brings us to the end of chapter, chapter 2. And uh, chapter 3 uh, begins with these words, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay. As we read this next chapter, uh, we need to view it and uh, this next chapter, chapter 3, and the first six verses of the next chapter, we have to view what Paul is saying here in light of all that he has already said, doctrinally, if you will, in those first two chapters. We need to keep all that in mind, especially what he's taught about holy baptism. Keep all of that in mind as we hear what he has to say to us um, from here on out. Uh, He's encouraging his readers that's the Colossians and and us, in in godly living. But as we know from these last two chapters, he's not encouraging us to godly living so that we will qualify ourselves for salvation. He's already made that very clear. That's already yours. Um, You've died in Christ. You have been raised in Christ. Um, Rather, he's encouraging godly living in light of Well, who you are. And he calls us, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So everything that's said from here on out is said based on what he's already taught, uh, uh, what he's already proclaimed in the doctrinal part of his letter, um, and especially in light of what he said about baptism. Baptism. So he says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If then you have been raised with Christ. And already in Colossians he has told us that. And so he's encouraging the Colossians to remember, realize, you have been raised with Christ. It already happened to you in the waters of your holy baptism. You have been raised with Christ. And since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Now, when Paul says above, he doesn't want us to think of this spatially, as if heaven is up there and earth is here and hell is down there. Um, Otherwise, I'm going to move to the top of the Himalayas so I'm closer to heaven. Um, It's cold up there. Um, But... um, as I think about, sometimes there's hell on earth right <laughs> yeah and and sometimes there's heaven on earth um, during divine service it's as if it is heaven on earth Christ with us so Paul wants us to understand the word above theologically above means those things that have to do with God Paul's encouraging the the Colossians, to seek those things that characterize their holy God. Um, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And again, the idea is not spatial. Um, the right hand isn't a place. It is a, it is a, it is a, a symbol of divine power. So when Paul says our Lord is seated at God's right hand, he's telling us that Jesus Christ, who is God and Lord, holds power and control over all creation. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And by saying that, Paul is not despising the things of the earth, as if the things of the earth are are wicked and, and bad, and evil, and it's only the spiritual things that are holy and good and God-pleasing. On the contrary, God created the heavens and the earth, and he declared it good. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And that's what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's to be received with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So when Paul says earth here, he means that which is fallen, sinful, corrupt, not pleasing to God. These are the things that the people of God are to avoid. And why avoid them? So that you'll be saved? Well, no. So that God will think more highly of you? No. So that you can get more jewels in your crown than the other guy? Ooh, that kind of puts it into a competition, doesn't it? That sounds like Genesis chapter 3, not Genesis chapter 1 and 2. A better mansion. No. It's all yours in Christ. Seek these things because they're all yours in Christ. For you have died, Paul says, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You have died. When you're dead, it's pretty hard for... Somebody to do something to you to hurt you, isn't it? (laughs) They can't. Well, you have died. And it took place in the waters of your baptism. And you've been hidden with Christ in God. You have been stored up for safekeeping. Of course, that takes a lot of faith. Because in this world, you know... Sometimes the accompanying blessings of that are hidden under weakness, they're hidden under suffering, and so it's really hard to see that. And yet, our true life will definitely be revealed at Christ's second coming. So, Paul very often uses the word in Christ, but here, Paul uses the words in God. Um, when you're in Christ, you, uh, you have the same intimate relationship with God the Father as Christ does. Jesus is equal to the Father according to his divine nature. And you are in him by virtue of your holy baptism. So you are in God. And there's no safer place in heaven or on earth to be. There's nothing more comforting to hear than this in reality. Think about the economy. It's, it's, it's very questionable. Um, it's like starting my outboard motor on my boat. I mean, you, you pull a lot of times, and it dies down. Come on, baby, run. Um, and you think of the national debt. Um, think of how close the next world war is to us. I mean, one stupid political or... Military move? I'm trying to depress you, okay? Um, uh, uh, and, uh, good. It almost seems like a crazy guy holds the trump card over the whole thing, doesn't it? Um, uh, you watch the news, it's the scariest thing in the world. You fear for your kids. You fear for your grandkids. It's enough to paralyze you into inaction. Um, it's enough to scare it's enough to scare us away from taking risks for the gospel. You know, we got it all okay here, so let's just kind of you know, um, uh, circle the wagons and, and uh, close ranks and just kind of protect ourselves because we, we dare not risk. Things are too scary out there. We better not take a chance. Paul says, what are you worried about? You are safe with Christ in God. What can the economy do to you? You're dead. What can a war do to you? You're already dead and raised in Christ. Something that we see with our eyes, or see, see through a glass dimly now, but with our eyes we'll see face to face.
1: Alright, we are going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Right, you, you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. We will be right back.
2: When he asked Peter, "Who do you say that I am?" Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. you're listening to fighting for the faith
0: you're listening to pirate Christian radio We'll be taking your false doctrine now <laughs> marty python's flying circus church
3: thanks for calling saddleback customer service this is josh how can i help you today yes i would like to return the jesus i received from you i heard there was a 60-day return policy Yes, sir, there is, but can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding Not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that?
0: I want to invite you to register for the free Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally coming to the following cities the fall of 2012. These are one night, and they're free, but you must register online at worldviewweekend.com. We're going to start out October 7th in Destin, Florida. Then we're on to Wichita, Kansas, Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rogers, Arkansas, Peoria, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Rockford, Illinois. They're free, they're one night, and it's the Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Please post this on your Facebook, put it out to your email address book. Help us get out the word about these free Fall 2012 Biblical Worldview Weekend Rallies. Speakers will include myself, Brandon House, along with Justin Peters, Mike Gendron, and jimmy D. young and a few others don't miss out on the fall worldview weekend rallies coming to these cities full details at worldviewweekend.com
1: keep more of your money in your pocket Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low Prices. Visit Pirate Christian com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's Pirate Christian com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, there's nothing the world or the devil can do to you. As Pastor Hodel just pointed out, you're already dead and you're in Christ. <laughs> what a great concept. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or making your gift payable to fighting for the faith, send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, here's the balance of today's lecture on the book of Colossians, and here again is Pastor Ron Hodel.
2: So when Christ who is your life appears, verse 4, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our eternal life, which we even now possess in holy baptism... It will be revealed and experienced in the day of the resurrection. And then Paul comes to encouragements and um, admonitions. Let me just read uh, 3, 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or, and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Put to death, he says. Again, that whole picture of holy baptism, it's already happened. Um... On the basis of that which Christ has already done for us in our salvation, Paul calls Christians to live out their death with Christ by renouncing sin. Um, The old Adam's been drowned in the waters of baptism. He's been taken off the throne of our lives. We didn't take him off. God took him off. We have no power over that. Um, The Spirit of God has been put there. But that doesn't mean that the old Adam is happy about it. Um, Of course, neither is Satan. And uh, if there's one very important thing to know about your old Adam, uh, he is a better swimmer than Michael Phelps. All right, And he has drowned in the waters of baptism, but he crawls to the edge of the font and he climbs out as best he can, coughing and choking on the water, and shakes himself off and tries once again to gain control. And if you will, there's another thing to know. Uh, there's nothing you can do to stop him. Not according to your old nature, that is. Um, the only way he can be put to death is to draw on on Christ, what Christ has given you. Um, that said, Paul continues by giving examples of sin to be renounced. Um, And many of the things that Paul mentions aren't necessarily, you know, bad things. They're good things that we pollute, that we misuse. Things like, he says, sexual immorality, and there's plenty of that going around today, although I think it's always gone around. And impurity and 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 passion that drives things and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, it's kind of interesting as you as you think about the Ten Commandments as they go around. You uh, you you start with with idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me at the top, and you move all the way around to thou shalt not covet, um, and coveting uh, takes something and turns it into an idol that needs to be worshipped and a, something that's looked to to, to um, give you what you need. And so it takes the place of God. So coveting uh, it takes you all the way back to the first commandment, Thou shalt, not have, no, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Kind of interesting. Um, wanting something so badly that we turn it into our God. Um, and then of course as a God then we've got to serve it. And uh, it has to, it kind of gives us little tokens of enjoyment along the way until it finally can't pay off anymore. All right. Luther said in the Large Catechism whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. Um, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he would be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. All that's important to hear and believe because Paul says the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God's not impartial to sin. God doesn't turn a blind eye to what's going on, to all the evil in the world, to all the, the sin in my life. God's attitude toward sin and unbelief will be fully revealed, and you'll see it in the final judgment. Paul says so much uh, from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And Jesus, whoever believes in the Son of God, uh, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. From John chapter three, verse, verse thirty six. Paul says, In these you once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put away, put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. In these you too once walked. Put them all away, he says. Put them off, the Greek says. They're not part of you anymore. Um, That new Adam part of us. And just like we put off dirty clothes and put on clean clothes and walk in those, so um, we put off sin and walk in the righteousness of Christ. Um, Dr. Uh, Dieterding made the point that this perhaps is where the early church uh, got the idea of, of, and, and the practice of removing one's clothes for, for baptism. And you're baptized au natural. And then after that, you are brought up out of the baptismal waters and you're clothed with a new clean garment. Um, I mentioned little babies, uh, the Indian tribe that baptized babies in, in a casket. Um, and uh, the clothes removed in the casket and then lifted out in, in a new baptismal garment placed on the baby. Uh, that would be a baptism you never forget. If you were baptized as an adult, ah, natural, that's a baptism you would not forget either. <laughs> um, you know, our, our, baptis- our baptismal liturgy talks about it. It says, receive this white garment to show that you have been clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all your sin." so shall you stand without fear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the inheritance prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Um, Do not lie to one another, Paul says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The old self is literally the old man, the old Adam, which has been put off. And the new self, the new Adam, put on. Um, Created in the image of its creator. Um, And what is the image that's been restored? Um, It's one of knowledge and trust in God. And holiness that isn't something we achieved, but something that He has declared us to be. Um, it's a restoration of a right relationship with God. In sin, remember that picture of, of when you are out of relationship with somebody else. Like Adam and Eve were out of relationship with God. When they hear the sound of God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, they are no longer in relationship. The last thing they want is to be seen by God, so they hide themselves in the bushes. The last thing we want to do when we are out of relationship with God is to be seen by Him. And so we hide ourselves in all sorts of different places. In self-righteousness, in pride, in uh, asceticism, in uh, visions. We hide yourself anywhere so that we don't have to be in relationship with the one that we're out of relationship with. or we don't, have to, we don't have to have a conversation. And of course, it's God who seeks us out and has a conversation with us. Where are you, Adam? Not you know, locatively, but where are you in relationship to me? And of course, we're out of relationship. And it's God who comes and restores that relationship so that we can come into his presence... With a good conscience, if you're out of relationship with somebody, even if you're talking with them, and I've sinned against you, but you don't know it, you know, I, I, there's a bad conscience going on inside of me, you know, but if the relationship has been restored, then I can be in your presence with a good conscience. Um, I don't have to lie to myself or present a false me. Um, so that image of God. Um, uh, has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, of course, the, the effects of the restoration of that of that divine image aren't yet totally realized. Um, that old Adam is still going to be around challenging us. Um, but what the old Adam doesn't want to believe and won't believe is that it is defeated It has been killed, and that will become very apparent on the day of the resurrection. So Paul goes on and says, Here then is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is in all, uh, Christ is all and in all. So in Christ, distinctions are removed. Whether they're national distinctions, you know, Jew and, and Greek, whether they're social distinctions, uh, barbarian and Scythian, you know how Paul's getting at how wide, how widespread is the work of the cross? And Paul includes the the Scythians here. These were the people that lived in in what is today kind of the southern part of Russia. And to the Greeks, they were the most barbaric people on earth. Um, even that distinction is torn down. Economic distinctions are torn down, slave or free, and you see that economic distinction get torn down in paul's uh, letter to the to Philemon. Christ is all and in all um, in Christ, the created order has been restored to what it ought to be to what it was it's been inaugurated in this age it's been started in fact it's even if, if we could put on the right. Glasses, if you will, we could see it, but we can't. All right, it's inaugurated, it's accomplished fact, even now. The cross worked it. All right, it'll be consummated in the day in the age to come when our eyes will see it when the Lord returns. So, put off the old nature that's been put to death um, and put on other things. So Paul goes on and says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, um, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, holding it against them until they cry uncle. Oh wait, forgiving each other. Sorry, I'm at a different translation. Um, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be gracious. Be thankful. So, as you think about these virtues that Paul, if you will, tells us to put on, don't think of them as if they are things that we need to accomplish. They're already gifts that God has given to us. These are Christ's virtues, and you have put on Christ. And so as his chosen ones, he simply calls us, display your Lord Jesus' virtues to the world. And here, Paul calls us chosen ones. That's how Israel was talked about in the Old Testament. They were God's chosen ones. And now by calling us his chosen ones, it's his church, it's Christ's church that is the new Israel. Believers in Christ, the new Israel. It's the new people of God that Peter talks about. He calls us holy. And again, that's not something we achieve ourselves, but something that God has worked in us. It's the whole point of the tabernacle. God is holy. We are unholy. That which is unholy or that which is common can't come into the presence of the holy. Unless it is made holy and come into its presence, the virtue of humility involves the displaying of the mind of Christ um, with the words of of uh, with the word humility we immediately think of of uh, that hymn that Paul recorded in in Philippians do not." Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own desires, but also to the interests of others. And then he goes on and talks about Christ. Um, he talks about meekness. Um, another way to translate meekness is gentleness. Um, it's not a, a meekness of, of weakness, but it's a meekness of strength. It's a gentleness of strength. It's that, it's that gentle giant um, who is incredibly strong and yet very gentle in how he uh, lives and moves and has his being amongst people. Um, so when Paul, uh, when Paul talks about uh, meekness, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a virtue of strength to help rather than to hurt and offend. Um, talks about patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another in spite of their failings. And not just for a little while, but for the long haul. You can think of Jesus when Jesus talks to the Peter, and Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, seven times seventy. A complete number of completeness um seven times 70 that's a long suffering it's a it's a patience um not easy very costly um something we can accomplish on our own not at all but something that the gospel can work in us yeah absolutely bearing with one another he says if you really struggle with with temptations on uh that you that you go through, you can start to understand the struggles that other people are having um, It's not if you walk in their shoes you understand but but rather you take a look at who you really are and you realize the struggle that they've got uh in the the small catechism. Lord's Prayer, 5th Petition, Luther says, "...and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us." What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in Heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that He would give them all to us by grace." For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who would sin against us. And then Paul uses the word love, which is the word, it's the agape word. It's the selfish, unconditional love that Christ has for you that takes all these other virtues, if you will, and covers them like an overcoat or a belt that ties them all together together. Um, in a in a harmonious way, um, and let that peace, the peace that Christ has with you, let that rule um, in your life and in your heart. Let that be the let that be the judge. Let that be the umpire uh, that helps decide disputes within the Christian community. To which indeed you were called in one body, Paul says, and be thankful. So let's stop at that point. Next week we'll pick up with uh, verse, verse 16. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Amen.
1: So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as a vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.